Hi, I'm Pastor Brad Inman, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that journey. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. Good morning, Orange United Methodist Church. We're so excited to have you in worship with us this morning. One additional announcement. We are celebrating outdoor communion today at 1230, and there are still spots left. If you would like to sign up, you can sign up on the church website, and we hope that you will join us. Today's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 13 through 22, and it reads, The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their table. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, Take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church. It is so good to be together with you today. I'm Adam Seat, and I'm the lead pastor here at Orange United Methodist Church, and today is uh, a unique day when we take into consideration that on Sunday, March 8th, 2020 was the last time that we were able to be fully together as the body of Christ. Over that span of time, we have quickly had to pivot and we have had to move everything online. And now it's beginning to look more and more exciting about the day that we will be able to begin to return together. I hope that you are taking advantage of getting your vaccine. Mine, I'm receiving this Thursday, and I'm excited to be able to be a part of that. And I look forward to you as well being vaccinated. And I look forward to the day that we are able to begin to be back together in person. We're still examining and looking into that, and hopefully soon we'll be able to have some news to be able to share. But the amazing thing about that Sunday a year ago was immediately the following Sunday, once again, was supposed to be Youth Sunday. We were going to have to pivot very quickly to how we were going to live this out as everything seemed to be turning into such chaos. But one of our own youth quickly jumped into action Ryan Lutz jumped in to help us with the live stream, and Josh and Ryan worked together to be able to make what we do now every Sunday a possibility, and we are so thankful for that work. 
And so we wanted to actually recognize them. We are not going to put Ryan on camera. That's something that Ryan would probably cut off our live stream if we attempted to do. But as a staff, we came together and Brad designed a t-shirt that we had made for both Ryan and for Josh that is simply our symbol of orange plugged in and on the back production team. We want those both of them to know that this time, this season of online worship, which we even recognize moving forward, even when we begin to regather in person, we know that this is a part of our future reality because not all are able to be present with us and we look forward to being able to continue that ministry, but we're so thankful for the way that Ryan and Josh both stepped in in a critical time to help us to be able to continue in this time of ministry. So if you want to, right there in the chat box, if you're watching this on Facebook or Vimeo, I encourage you to offer a word of thanks to Ryan and to Josh for the ways that they're able to help, they have helped us continue to worship in this unique time. Let us pray. God of grace and God of mercy, we give thanks for your holy word. A word that's been handed down from generation to generation and a word that still speaks such truth and relevance to us today. And so as we give thanks for your word as it has been read, we now seek to hear your word as it is proclaimed. By the power of your Holy Spirit, would you transform the words that proceed from my mouth and as they fall upon our ears and penetrate our hearts, may they be changed into the word of God that we need to hear today as individuals and collectively as one body. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit and all of God's people said, Amen. That passage that Savannah read just a few moments ago is one of those few occurrences that it is an experience that is actually documented, recorded in all four of the Gospels. Jesus overturning the tables there in the temple. Now, what is unique about the way that John tells it is the timing of when it takes place. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they record it just a few days prior to Jesus' arrest, his crucifixion, his death. But John plays it out a little bit differently. John has it very early in the story of Jesus' ministry. John has it taking place in John chapter 2, immediately following Jesus performing the very first miracle that we have recorded at the wedding in Cana of Galilee, where Jesus turned the water into wine. And then it says that Jesus and his disciples went to Jerusalem for the Passover. They went, and when Jesus entered the temple, and he saw the money changers, and he saw those who were selling the cattle, the sheep, the doves, something overwhelmed Jesus. And I mean, as a child, who wasn't fascinated with the story of Jesus? Jesus, who sees it, he becomes outraged, and he goes and he throws the tables over, pouring out the money all over the floor, chasing off the animals. That story of Jesus 
that fit right in with what I hope to do one day. In fact, I was joking with the worship team this morning that maybe we should make sure not to light the candles on the altar today because I was gonna live it out because who hasn't wanted to overthrow a table at some point with this story in mind? But have you ever really been that charged up? What, what is it that caused Jesus to be so overcome that he acts in this way that seems quite far removed from what I think we typically build up as an image of who Jesus was. Well, to understand really what got him so charged up in this moment, we've really got to go back and look at the full context of this story to understand how we got here. And so as we go all the way back to the early beginnings of the stories of God's people, we ultimately know how God called Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. And as he leads them out into the wilderness, God is renewing the covenant with his people. There's this time that God calls Moses. He calls his brother Aaron, Aaron's two oldest sons, and 70 of the elders of Israel to come up a little bit of ways up onto Mount Sinai. And there they ratify that with God and his people. But then God calls Moses up a little bit further up onto the mountain. And as they all go back down, they look up and they see this, the glory of the Lord descending upon the mountain, clouds, and Moses rising up into that space on the mountain. And the scripture says that Moses was up there on the mountain in the midst of that glory of the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, we know when we read the scriptures, when they reference something as 40 days or 40 nights, many times, that's simply a way of saying a really long time. So Moses is up there a really long time. And if you go back and read through Exodus, you'll see why he's up there a really long time. Because God is not just giving the Ten Commandments. God is giving them the ways that they're going to order their life throughout the time of Exodus and even the time when they enter into the Promised Land. But especially as he's up there in the clouds on Mount Moriah for a really long time. God gives them very, very detailed instructions for something that they're going to build. They're going to build a tent. They're going to build a large tent with walls, with inner compartments. They're going to build altars. And all of this is going to have to be portable because as they journey through the wilderness, they're going to have to go from one place to the next. And so everything about this large tent was going to have to be easily moved. God was giving the instructions to Moses for the tabernacle. Now the tabernacle literally means a tent of dwelling, but ultimately we know that the tabernacle was going to serve as God's, the symbol of God's presence amongst his people. As they camped, they would camp around the tabernacle, offering safety, protecting it but probably more so, so that they would know that they were near God's presence. And what took place within the tabernacle was very sacred and very holy. Their sacrifices would be offered to make right for the ways that they had gone wrong. 
there would be burnt offerings being reminded of certain events that had transpired throughout their history. There in the tabernacle, there would contain the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant that ultimately would contain a jar of manna. An Ark of the Covenant that would ultimately would contain the, ten, the tablets, of the Ten Commandments. The Ark of the Covenant, which it was the way they viewed it, was right upon the very top of it. Immense the, um, uh, um, in between the two cherubim with their wings outstretched. That's where they located God. And the Ark of the Covenant would be kept within the Holy of Holies, the innermost part of the tabernacle. This was all so sacred. This was all so holy. In fact, they were supposed to be so reverent about it that only the high priest would be able to enter in at certain times to the Holy of Holies. And it was such a big thing. They treated it with such fear and reverence that the high priest was to wear a garment that along the bottom of it included bells. That way, the people on the outside would be sitting in silence, listening, and as long as they could hear the bell, they would know that the high priest was still alive. He had not been struck down dead right there in his spot. And so legend tells us that when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, he would be wearing this rope around his waist or his leg so that if suddenly they heard the bells stop ringing as he moved around, they could drag the body out. This was serious. This was reverent. And to be able to hear a little bell upon the garment of the high priest at a distance within the tabernacle. This was something that was entered with silence. People revered what was taking place. People respected. They lived it out in a different kind of way because they knew they were in the presence of God. Now, we know that they moved the tabernacle from place to place as they journeyed through the wilderness. And we know that how they moved it into the promised land. And ultimately, when David became king, David built up his kingdom in the city of Jerusalem. And as David is there in his palace in Jerusalem, David recognizes that the Ark of the Covenant still dwelled within a humble tent tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant. God, David wanted to provide God's presence with a more permanent dwelling. And so David sought out permission from God, but God ultimately said, David, that's not for you to do. That's for your son, Solomon. And we know that when Solomon came into the kingdom, when he became king, Solomon built a a magnificent temple that would be a permanent dwelling place for the house of the Lord. Around 950 BCE, he built the tabernacle complex that spanned over 35 acres. Now, over the years following, we know how the temple was destroyed and would be rebuilt. And ultimately, this temple that Jesus himself enters into in our passage today. We know that this temple where he finds the cattlemen, the money changers, this temple was a work that had begun by Herod the Great around 20 BC. 
And so they've been building this magnificent temple for many years. And as Jesus enters for the celebration of the Passover, enters for a time of prayer, he enters in for a time of reverence. And as he enters in, he does not experience quite reverence that Jesus had expected. Now we know it might not have started off the way that Jesus found it in that moment. People traveled from all over to come for the Passover and for special feasts. They would come to the temple to be able to make sacrifices. They would come from great distances away to be able to come and to worship and to come and to pray and to be observant and obedient. And as they would come from many different places, they would come and knowing that it would be difficult to travel such terrain many times, bringing your cattle your lamb that you were to offer for sacrifice. Instead of, instead of bringing one from all the way, far away from home, they would come to Jerusalem where there would be marketplaces. They could go and they could purchase an animal and then take it to the temple for a time of sacrifice. However, if you remember, it hasn't been that long ago that when you would travel to a foreign country, you might go there with American currency. But many times, American currency may do you no good in that particular country. And so you would have to go, and you would exchange your currency to be able to have the currency of the land. This day and time, so many times, MasterCard and Visa are accepted. They handle the transaction through that. But it used to be, we'd have to go, and we'd have to exchange that currency. And even back then, as people would travel from all over and they'd want to go and to purchase an animal for the sacrifice, but they had only had their currency from back home, so they had to come and they'd go and make change. They would exchange, and then they could make their transaction to purchase the animal. But at some point in time, temple authorities determined that to make this an easier interaction as people came to offer their sacrifices, Instead of just coming into Jerusalem, let's just allow a money changer to set up a booth here. Let's just allow the marketplace to be filled with cattle, with lambs, with goats, with doves, so that people could just do all of their business transaction right here. Let's make it simple. And you can only imagine how the free market worked in that time. First, one money changer comes in, but then somebody else wants to get on the, in on the action. And so, can't you imagine one table over here and one table over here, and this person calling out one set of exchange rates, but this person saying, I can do better than that. And so, they are in this competition against one another, driving the price down, or as they partner together and drive the price up. You've seen this when you've seen a gas station that is located directly across the street from another gas station, and one lowers their price, and what happens later that day? The other lowers their price, and they enter into this price war. Can't you imagine that taking place in the temple? Can't you imagine even those who were selling the animals, the livestock, calling out different prices? One running a buy one, get one free special for the extra sinful person. They had this competition taking place there within the temple. And what was supposed to be a place that symbolized the presence of God? Jesus walks into a flea market. Instead of being something reverent, instead of something pointing to knowing that God was with us, 
it had to have felt like it had become something so far removed from what God originally intended. We had made it something else, and it no longer represented the presence of God. So what did Jesus do? Well, you heard Savannah. You know the story. He turns over the tables. He throws the money out. He makes a whip out of the cords, and he begins to chase the animals away, driving them out of his father's house. The authorities come, and they question him. Show us a sign of what authority by which you do this. And Jesus He said something that they didn't understand quite at the time. The scripture alludes to only later would they fully understand. But Jesus says, tear down this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up again. As John says, they understood that he was speaking about his body. But those that were there didn't understand. Those there in the moment the authorities even questioned this this temple is being built for 46 years and it's not even yet finished and you would raise it up in three days in that moment Jesus is not just driving out the money changers in that moment Jesus is not just driving out the market that was selling the animals in that moment Jesus is driving out the old way that symbolized the presence of God for the presence of God is not found in a building the presence of God is found in the Lamb of God Jesus is saying the presence of God is not found here the presence of God is found within him is that sacrifice, offering himself up so that there would never be another need for any other sacrifice. See, God's presence is not about a place. It's about God is a presence. Sometimes we build up God's presence and we think that if we go through certain motions or if we say certain prayers or follow certain rituals that God will be present. But Jesus says that the presence is found in him and that can be wherever we may be. You know, I find it so striking that this passage comes to us today right here on the heels of experiencing one year without us being able to be fully gathered And in our times of worshiping at home or worshiping wherever we may be, it's been hard at times. It's been hard at times to feel and experience God's presence. We long to be back together as the body of Christ. We long to be in this space together once again. And in that longing, we have missed God's holy presence. And yet today I am reminded that our presence is not found within a building. Our presence is found within our seeking out the Lord, seeking out the God that offered himself up as a sacrifice. And maybe there are things in our lives that need to be overturned so that we might fully experience that presence once again. I'm reminded, and I've shared this story with you before, how in 1988, my father was the pastor at Asbury United Methodist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. And on one fall evening, a tornado hit, went through 
Raleigh, destroying many different structures. One of those was the sanctuary of Asbury United Methodist Church. I remember that night after the sanctuary had been completely destroyed, my dad got us into the car. We drove over to the spot, and it was amazing to look and to see this large brick structure had completely been leveled. And some of the members from the church were beginning to gather in the parking lot. There was much weeping, wondering, what will we do? Our church is gone. And over the course of the next few days, plans had to be made to determine what the next step was going to be. Arrangements were made to be able to meet in one of the local high schools in the auditorium. And on that Sunday that was packed full in that high school auditorium, we sang a hymn that is in the United Methodist hymnal that to this day is my least favorite hymn found within that book. But it's a hymn that has words that speak so powerfully to me today, just as it did in 1988. I am the church. You are the church. We are the church together. All of God's people all around the world. Yes, we're the church together. Sounded like a nursery rhyme to me. Still does. But those words, those words remind me it's not the place. God's presence isn't just in the place. God's presence, when we offer a sacrificed and altered life to him, God's presence is right there within so many times it's hard to feel that presence because we find ourselves so consumed in looking for the ways that we would expect God's presence to be manifest in our lives. But I think in the season of Lent is when we begin to, to turn over those things in our lives that maybe have drawn us away from God's presence, that have not, ne not necessarily drawn us away, but caused us not to see it, not to feel it, not to know it. Another song I'm reminded of is a song written by worship leader Matt Redman. Matt Redman was telling, tells the story about the song, The Heart of Worship, and by saying that there was a time that the worship staff was meeting following a worship service, and they began to critique and analyze everything about the service that they had just conducted. Trust me, that's something we do today as well. But as they were watching and listening to one another, they began to realize that they had turned worship into something performative. They had turned worship into something that they received instead of something that they gave to God. And in that chorus, you may be reminded of those words. I'm turning back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. And it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I think in this moment today, as we find ourselves scattered all across in different places, connected by the internet, God's presence goes far beyond just being in this place. God's presence is right there with you when we turn it over fully to him. We've turned it into something so much more. But right now, right where you are, you can experience that presence. Right now, right where you are, you can know that God is with you. We started off this service 
was singing a song with the words, there's never a day that you weren't by my side. Today, the God that we serve is right there with you. What do we need to overturn so we might see it, feel it, and know it? Let us pray. Lord God, in this season, it does feel as if we are so distant. We find ourselves longing for the connection of being together. We continue to find ourselves longing for your presence. So Lord, we ask that in these moments as we surrender once again to you, that you would help us to see and know that which has gotten in the way, that which has caused us to feel that separation from you. Lord, your presence is that reminder that we are not alone. And so today, may we feel that spirit. May we feel that presence. May we be reassured that you have never forsaken us. You are always with us. Lord, we pray these things in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit and all of God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.